0: Some of you guys crack me up, man. (laughs) Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, so take your Bibles and open those things. So thankful to have God's Word to be the standard of truth for our lives. And in a day where there are those who would question the reality of God's Word as the standard of supreme truth. Is more important than ever that you and I are men and women of the Word. So I would encourage you, actually bring your old-fashioned Bible to church. Let's carry it. Let's let's purpose some human moments in a digital world where we're actually touching uh, our Bibles. And I'll uh, give you, when we get started like this, the place to go and try and find it. I've actually found I've used my digital scripture so much that I've gone to look for books and realized... Man, I'm out of practice finding some of these books. Has anyone else noticed that? It's kind of like following your GPS and you no longer even have to think about it. So let's make sure we're purposing some human moments. It would be good for the neurological development of our brains as we, uh, as we flip pages and touch leather. So praise God, the power of his word. Um, we are focusing a lot right now in a season that you know we, we really aren't working to package these um, concise series like we used to so that we can market them well and advertise them beautifully and attract more consumers to come and uh, enjoy the, the presentations. Um, we've just kind of figured out going to church should be more like going to the gym than going to the movies. We ought to come and, and work a little bit, grow stronger as a result, not just be entertained and attracted. And so what we're doing is just discerning seasons instead of announcing series. It kind of locks me into a few weeks. Our teaching team, you know, we're locked into a few weeks when we announce a series, and then we know the next series, and so we kind of don't know the conclusion of the season. Um, But what we do know is we've discerned to step into a season where we're going to be here for a while until we feel the Lord kind of leading us out of that. But the season is understanding you are what you eat. And so communion is an important part of this. This crazy verse of scripture, Jesus said, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, it's just like you're reading that and you're thinking, what in the world's going on? Um, But God wants us to understand there is something, even in the reading of his word today, you understand that you are actually digesting spiritually the reality of eternity as revealed in God's word. God's forming Christ within you. And the more we are men and women of His Word, the more we are men and women of His presence, the more we are men and women of community and connection from a heart level, the stronger we become, the more Christ is formed within us. So there's something to the gathering that really is significant. And so I I was just out walking and praying yesterday. And I just, as I was walking, you know, it was pretty warm out and I realized that in the sun, I'm getting a pretty good dose of vitamin D. You know, it it just happens. Like God built you to actually absorb your surroundings. Are Are you aware of this? So even in the natural, just being out in the sun, your body is taking in vitamin D. So you're built by God to draw in from your environment. So when we come together like this and we worship, we start to understand this is why the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because we're built by God to be taking something in. You are what you eat, so make sure you're eating that which is the diet of God's kingdom. Really important. So gathering, the teaching of the word, the worship together uh, we have you know, our, our family event tonight, our big destiny celebration. There'll be fireworks works at dark. We're all going to be hanging out. I think things will kick off with food trucks and all that. You know, late afternoon, four o'clock-ish uh, sometime around there. But it's just going to be a great time. We've got some bands that'll be uh, rocking it outside, and, and uh, we're just going to have a blast. There's something valuable about that connectivity, just identifying with each other, relating to God's family together. We're honoring first responders. I saw, uh, what's the 100... Middle Tinker 100 posted us online uh, announcing our event because they'll be here and be a part of that. I mean, it's going to be a, a great time. That sort of thing, you understand, it communicates to the community not only that we're here, but it helps them understand more of who we are and they know then where they can come to receive encouragement in the Lord. They're going to receive encouragement in the Lord. Anybody who comes here, they're going to see the book is open, and they're going to hear the name of Jesus. How many of you know when we open the Word of God and declare the name of Jesus, society will begin to be transformed in wonderful ways? So these types of gatherings are, are significant. We actually had um, Caleb reach out to us, and in just a couple of weeks, We've been selected to be a site for um, We the Kingdom, which is a great band. They're going to be coming in. So we'll start announcing some of that, I think, That is July fourteenth, if I have that correct. Follow and so again, just gathering and just you know that the presence of the Lord. We're absorbing that. You are what you eat, so let's make sure we're eating intentionally. That following. I'm not giving you a commercial. I'm trying to help you understand something about who we are and what we stand for. But that following week, I think it'd be the twenty-first. Is Pastor AT is going to begin this class on how to grow deeper spiritually? Don't just hope you grow deeper. You got hope's not a strategy. You've got to go there. So start walking that out we're going to have a marriage enrichment luncheon coming in a few uh, months where on a Sunday morning we're going to conclude the service and there'll be lunch prepared and we're going to invite all of our married couples just to stay and be involved in some revelation we just feel the Lord keeps speaking about this revealing things that we need to talk about and so in that atmosphere you are what you eat we're going to process and take in some of those things that the Lord is calling us to into October we'll have our men's conference again and and we're already on On the books for all of that so guys i I just think that if 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 the men will get their hearts where their hearts need to be before the lord something powerful happens in the family the marriage the lives the legacy the children the grandchildren the great-grandchildren you've never even yet met god is uh, will work to impact something about the atmosphere this is who we are we're gathering together around the hope of this risen king jesus christ always pointing back to the reality of his word and the nature of god is revealed in christ so what I want us to do is to take a look in Philippians chapter two, from a vantage point where we're actually not just reading verses that I'm going to point to and give you my clever message. You know, Man's genius is not enough. Uh, and, and some of our genius, you know, is not very good at all, I admit that, <laughs> up front of the front of the line. But we need God's power, not man's clever so I want to take the time we might take a little intermission while we're reading these verses of scripture because some people aren't developed enough spiritually to read long portions of scripture without going spiritually to sleep and God is trying to take the church into a more mature perspective where we really value the things that he says matters so I'm going to read some portion of this scripture out of Philippians chapter 2 I want you to stay with me if you would and we're going to start in verse Well, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter, uh, verse 1. Father, would you just bless the reading of your word? Would you awaken within us that which only your word can reach? Logic and motivational speeches and all those things can only go so far. But the power, the transforming power of your word is what we need in our lives as you form Christ in us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you've had any encouragement from Christ, can I hear you say amen? If there is any comfort from his love, anybody had any comfort from God's love, say amen. You might as well stay with the theme here, a couple more. If any participation in the Spirit, are you thankful for the presence and the Spirit of God? If any affection and sympathy, if God's ministering to you in your time of need, I love this verse, to complete my joy, or make my joy complete by being of the same mind. This is speaking of unity, unified together as we're unified with the heart and the mind of God. Having the same love, not only the same mind, but the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves do you understand how contrary to today's culture that statement is i want to get mine i want to live my best life now this says count Others more significant than yourselves. In other words, serve others well by serving yourself less. Learn to serve yourself less so you actually have margin and resource to serve others well. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus what is this mind who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or one translation says used for his own personal advantage he was God how many of you know Jesus is God But he showed up as God, having humbled himself, not saying, look who is the man who has now come from heaven. He showed up in humility. This is so amazing when you think about this. Though he was God, didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, kingpin conclusion, to all of this humility, therefore God has highly exalted him. So Lord, we thank you. You are highly exalted. And all of that came from the world's greatest demonstration of humility that has become our ultimate example to explore and express this flourishing life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I want you to think about the importance of this topic today because it's at first like going to be totally in alignment and then then you're going to have to think because the spirit of the age has confused many minds but but track me on this okay through humility Jesus became the savior that's what we just read through humility Jesus became the savior but through pride Lucifer became the devil Lucifer wasn't the devil originally what did he do he said i'm going to disregard the reality and perspective of God, and I am going to be like God myself. That's, that's the basis of what happened when Lucifer fell from being an angel to being a fallen angel, the devil himself. So through humility, Jesus became the Savior. Through pride, Lucifer became the devil. These are two very different cultures. How many of you know the culture of pride and the culture of humility stand completely at odds with each other? We just read all about the culture of humility or the culture of heaven. That's what that's describing because this is Jesus coming out of heaven to demonstrate the culture of heaven and release the culture of heaven that would exist in humanity and we would all be able to embrace and our lives would be able to become more as the expression of heaven as opposed to our lives being the expression of hell. Just think what I'm saying. If you're focused on you and you're paying no regard to others, then you're actually releasing the expression of that which is contrary to heaven if you're self-serving selfish i mean i I just i boy this has been so um i cannot say this heavily enough because it's almost humorous and we can all identify with it but will you seriously give some thought to what your attitude and disposition is when you're simply driving your car I mean, we, we joke about it, but the other day I was, I was in the middle lane. Somebody was in the, the fast lane, not going fast enough for the guy that came up behind. And I mean, he zipped up and came right behind me and around me and then on up there and slammed on his brakes in front of the other guy and then pointed the way to Jesus with his middle finger sticking his arm up. And I'm just looking at the guy. And, and what I thought was the guy in this car probably didn't deserve that at all. He's going faster than I was. But then I thought, what that other person just did was used in an attitude of impatience. I mean, after all, he was being slowed down by probably 15 seconds or so. And in an attitude of impatience, he created the culture of hell to invade our mourning just in that brief moment. Do you understand this? So like think about what you're saying when you're driving and, and the imposition. God is just challenging me personally. Allow imposition to become a tool God uses to form Christ within me where I learn patience, where I learn kindness, where I learn humility, where I learn the characteristics that we see demonstrated in the life and the love of Christ. So pride really carries with it the essence of hell while humility carries with it the essence of heaven. How many of you have ever had to work for somebody that was boss in charge and they were prideful? Have you ever had that experience before? It is not enjoyable. Have you, in the contrary, have you worked for somebody, boss, employer, and they carry an attitude of humility? It's two totally different perspectives of the, of the work environment and the office, and it's just so important that we understand this is so practical, but in the Bible... I, Pride is not good. It's not. Nowhere in the Bible does it, the, do we ever read anything favorable, positive, or remotely good about the essence or the idea of pride. C.S. Lewis said, the utmost evil is pride. All other sins are mere flea bites in comparison. In other words, the main sewage line of sinfulness actually is born from the heart of pride, which actually would make sense because it's the essence of pride that was the downfall of the father of sin in the very beginning of it all. He went on to say, C.S. Lewis said, It's pride that has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. That's a pretty big statement. Church fathers throughout the ages have all agreed that pride is the root of sin. Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther the list just goes on and on church fathers consistently would all agree regardless of all secondary theological conclusions that they would maybe differ on this one thing for sure we have all agreed on throughout all the ages, pride is not a positive characteristic I just want to make sure I'm capturing the heart of the Lord and what's being said and not just, you know, drive to get the script. (laughs) Because the Lord is really wanting to awaken something of the humble nature of Christ within every single one of us that would cause us to be more receptive to what He's desiring to reveal rather than being disruptive and fighting against What God desires for us to understand. Boy, the enemy would love to create the sense of disruption within you right now. But you need to understand something. All of this is hugely important. You are what you eat, and you're built by God to absorb your surroundings. And, you know, I heard the the quote "The, the root of a tree absorbs whatever it touches even the poison that could potentially kill it. And that is like the undiscerning mind. Let me say it again. The undiscerning mind is like the root of a tree that absorbs everything it touches, even the poison that could kill it. I believe that you and I are living in a day where the church, by and large, has an extremely undiscerning mind. They don't understand where their biblically the, biblical theology ends and their humanistic philosophy begins. And it all gets intertwined and then we hear the truth of God's word and it's not alignment—not in alignment with one of the core philosophical ideas that we've just choked down because the worldly system has told us that should be our reality and we don't understand how to discern that which is actually poisoning our lives, cancerous to our souls. Pride. It's amazing, again, pride... Is the demonstration of the fall of Lucifer. Humility is what made Jesus the Savior. Pride is what made Lucifer the devil the essence of pride, I'll set myself up against God, I'll become like God, I'll make my own standard of reality nobody else will tell me what is going to be true, I'm going to make my own decision of truth can I just tell you, a teenage kid sitting in their room playing a bunch of games that comes to some conclusion about what morality is going to be for them and they're going to have their own standard of morality pales in comparison to thousands of years of ancient truth that has been handed down from generation to generation and tried and true societies that spring forth from the reality of this book are the societies that thrive in the world that you and I live in today societies that are born from Marxism and socialism and ideas that are contrary to the word of God suffer lack and poverty like you cannot imagine those are the communities in the world today where people are standing in line because they cannot get food they are not flourishing they are not prospering I want you to know God's word is the avenue to awaken God's blessing within our lives and within our nation, the nations of the world. And pride is this prideful insolence that says I'm going to believe whatever I decide I will believe. What's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. And everybody has their own reality. That is a lie from the pit of hell and it's born from the insolent pride that actually caused Lucifer to fall and become the devil in the first place. And it perpetuates and continues. What was it that he said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? You can be like God. I mean it just continues throughout all the ages. This is the same thing that just keeps happening over and over. The spirit of the age over the course of all these years keeps presenting this same prideful, arrogant, insolent ideology that fights against the reality of God's Word. I don't like everything that's in the Bible. Anybody else? Let's just be honest. I don't like everything that I read in the Bible. Have you ever read that verse that says it is a curse to greet someone with a loud voice in the morning? I cannot stand that verse. I am loud, especially in the morning. (laughs) You can relate. And like I I remember, I, I think it was i don't know faith or lexi um you know they were pretty young and 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 i'm you know i'm doing my normal crazy morning stuff and 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 one of the girls looked at me and said dad have you ever read that verse that you're not supposed to be loud in the morning and i and i said yeah i've read it and they just looked at me and they said read it again dad read it again Not all of the Bible actually aligns with my temperament and disposition and inclinations. But am I going to follow my inclinations in this prideful disposition of insolent behavior to God and say, I'll set up my own standard or reality... This is what's taken place throughout all these ages over and over again. The philosophies of this world, um, the, the spirit of the age, you can call it a lot of things, but it's all born from the spirit of Antichrist. And that's why we talked about last week the woke Babylonian culture that has tried to invade the world that you and I live in today. The whore of Babylon is the conclusion in the book of Revelation that will actually attack everything about the love of Jesus and drink the blood of the saints that become martyrs in the day of the persecuted church. You need to understand this is a reality of God's word and it is going to take place. And the basis of that attack and the basis of that persecution is the preliminary beginning of that attack and that persecution. It's an insolent idea that says, I will decide my own truth and I will not let God's Word tell me what is true and what is not. Throughout the ages, this spirit, this antichrist spirit, spirit of the world, philosophies of the world, has been attacking the ways of God, trying to dismantle God's truth. This spirit takes the symbol of promise and turns it into the symbol of pride. When pride is nowhere in the Bible in any way something positive or even remotely good, it becomes something celebrated. They extract the the, the symbol of promise, the rainbow, and they then call it the symbol of pride and expect us to celebrate the diversity. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Have your own truth. Have your own reality. Develop your own paradigm. It is the same spirit that is at work in the day in which you and I live that has been worked work this whole time. You know, the Bible actually does have a symbol of pride. And it's not the rainbow. I want to point out this symbol so that you can Uh, get an understanding of what it is, because I think it helps speak to what our response should be in the way we're addressing when we're required to somehow bow down to or defer to something we're told that we read about in scripture that is contrary to what we're hearing in the spirit of the age and the society that we live in today. So here's an image depicting this idea from ancient times. And again, Babylon. This is King Nebuchadnezzar uh, in Babylon. And he said, you know, I'm going to be like God. Have we heard that before somewhere? I'm going to be like God. And I'm going to have my own deity statue. And you're going to bow down to that statue. And there we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what did they say? We cannot bow down to a reality contrary to, to God's reality. We just can't do that. So they refused to bow down. So the question I have is, were they hateful? Was that hate speech? I mean, you, you've got to put this together and understand. Like, they simply had a conviction that they had to allow God, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything that is, to be the one to determine what their reality would, would become in their disposition, in their mindset, in their attitude. It would define their worship. And so... So I realize it's kind of, we, we read that story and it's great, and, and they actually did suffer great persecution as a result of their unwillingness to bow down to their modern day idol. and Let's look at that picture one more time. Just get a picture. This is from ancient days. and Now I want you to get the idea of what this could be maybe in modern day times, what we're being presented in this particular hour. This idea that I am required to support something that doesn't offend anybody except God, which is what moral relativism is about. We're not going to believe anything or promote anything that offends anybody, regardless of what this says. That idea is so dangerous. And and listen... That idea always unravels somewhere down the line. I I want you to think about this. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of, um, make sure I get the terminology right, minor attracted people. Minor attracted people. Minor attracted people are now asking to be included in the spectrum of the rainbow ideology. So again, you track this and you say you can have whatever belief you say is right, it's going to unravel because at some point even you are going to say, wait, 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 wait. Minor attracted people are pedophiles. Right. And they have given a politically correct terminology for somebody who is an adult, who is inclined, feels like they were just born this way, to have, child, have sex with children. That's a pedophile. And now you've got minor attractive people saying, we want to be included in the spectrum. We want to be recognized for our sexuality. This is the way we were. This is the way we were born. I I, I mean, I was looking into this this past week, and I was kind of blown away. A a kid in a classroom starts recording the teacher in the classroom who's talking about how important it is that we not judge. And literally says, it's on the recording, this, this teacher in the classroom saying to these children, it's so important that we not judge, listen, Uh, you can't judge an adult just because they want to have sex with a five-year-old. That's what this teacher said. I I found a TED Talk and and this person is advocating that minor attracted people uh, actually live a very difficult life as if this person speaking and their partner would love each other and feel drawn to each other, but they would not be able to have sex together. And how lonely and terrible of a life that would be. And minor, attracted people, they love the children and they want to have sex with the children. How terrible for them to suffer this type of despair. Listen, something is wrong here if you are a pedophile and something is wrong here if you're a pedophile. We live in a fallen, broken world and we need the love and the life of Jesus Christ according to the Word of God to redeem everything about the mechanism of wiring that is incorrect within us. I don't know if you realize it or not, but but heterosexual married men find themselves at times attracted to someone else's spouse. I knew I wasn't going to get an amen out of you guys. <laughs> I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about I love you, honey. (laughs) Heterosexual women find themselves attracted to another woman's spouse. Just because of an attraction, that doesn't define what I am able to go and do under the name of, I just desire to do that. There has to be a standard, and the standard is God's word, and we cannot just bypass that standard in a prideful, insolent, arrogant attitude that says, whatever the Bible says is whatever, everybody has their own reality, you come up with your own conclusion. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 actually says, the fear Of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is speaking of humility, the fear of the Lord. I'm humbling myself before the Lord. So, let me ask the worship team. Go ahead and make your way up. I want to explain uh, something to you that I found to be very interesting. How many of you know the name Jim Baker? Can I see? Raise your hand if you know the name Jim Baker. Okay, uh, would be termed very influential ministry leader of our generation. He was, uh, you know, spearheading TBN. Um, ultimately, he began to disregard Scripture in so many ways. He was involved in uh, that which was sexual. It was not biblical sexuality which is sin let's just be clear biblical sexuality man woman married for life everything else adultery fornication I don't care anything other than what the bible says is the context of sexuality according to scripture is sin and he began to be involved in multiple adulterous affairs he began to be involved in all kinds of embezzlement he got caught and he is serving 45 years in prison because of his crimes against society. And it's interesting, I I read about recently a a conversation between Jim Baker in prison and another ministry leader that went to visit. He's looking through the glass, having a conversation with Jim Baker, and he asked this question, and this this is very, very significant to the morning. He said, Jim you were going strong, you know, you, you became a Christian, you're trying to lead Christian ministry, you got off in adultery, and you got involved in embezzlement. I mean, all, this, all these crimes, all this sin. And he said, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And Jim Baker's response is mind-blowing. This is why he said, quote, through the adultery, through the embezzlement, Every mistake I ever made, I continued to love Jesus all the way through. The problem was somewhere along the way, I stopped fearing God. He said so many Christians today love Jesus, but they don't fear God. And that is a dangerous place to be because it's a place of constant perpetual sin. Thanking God for His grace, loving Jesus for His faithfulness. Constant perpetual sin. I'm just going to keep this pattern going. I have no fear of God. I'm going to do whatever I'm inclined to do regardless of the consequence. And Jim Baker said this, Prison was not God's judgment for me. Prison prison was God's mercy. He had to save me from myself. So fear is, the fear of the Lord is this humility in our lives that says no matter what the cost, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I want to say to you, as one of the fathers of this house, as for me and my house, We are going to serve the Lord. We are going to stand according to God's word. We're going to stand in love, but we're going to stand in truth. We are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to ask us today to examine our own hearts, because without a doubt, there are people today under the sound of my voice who are contending with perpetual sin. You've justified it in a variety of ways. And it's not that you don't love Jesus, it's just that you're not walking in a revelation of the fear of the Lord. And I believe God wants to restore that to us. Like he can do that. The fear of the Lord would say, I'm going to stop acting like I'm in charge and start recognizing he's in charge. So this week, your action point for the week, over the course of the week, I want to ask you to take some time with the verses out of Philippians 2 today and ask God to teach us all to understand humility and refuse to cooperate with pride. Reference that proverb as well. It's all in the blog. It's in the notes. But just get in the presence of the Lord. Read His Word. Allow Him to form Christ within you. Jesus, who came, ultimately submitted to the will of the Father, though it cost Him everything, And in his absolute place of humility and surrender to the Father, that is where Jesus was raised up to become our Savior. Come on, would you stand? What we're going to do um, is examine our hearts. There's a pattern of sin that you are asking the Lord to put His hand on today and to address in your life. Would you just hold up your hand? Pattern of sin. We're, we're asking the Lord, would you help help me to step into this fear of the Lord? And we're going to break this thing in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to begin to have just the Lord begin to awaken within us a greater understanding of the fear of the Lord. And let me, let me just explain how, how this how this works real practical but earlier when we were praying you know we have uh, the worship team comes in and prays and then at 10 o'clock come join us on on Sunday morning just come in here and pray more of God's kingdom gets relief when we pray Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. we gather in here and we pray I would invite you be a part of times of prayer but as we were praying I just said you know there's a difference between a marked police car and an unmarked police car And we all know, I've said it before, you know what happens when you see the marked police car, everybody slows down, whether you were speeding or not, everyone in the car leans forward because you slow down. But when you drive beside an unmarked police car, you don't understand, you don't realize, you are not aware that you are in the presence of authority. And it will not affect your behavior if you are not aware that you are in the presence of authority. And so the fear of the Lord is growing in an awareness of the presence of God in your life. And it changes the way you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes what you're rehearsing in your mind. You're aware of the presence of authority and it begins to affect your behavior because of the fear of God. I want to examine our hearts today together as we receive communion. And so we have communion tables up here on both sides of the front, communion tables in the back. If you would just disperse and go. Uh, There are a lot of us here today. I want to make sure we have enough communion for everybody. But if you would go to the tables and, and, and bring your elements back to your seats. some of you um, regulars are doing a little shaky, shaky. That's a good thing to do. That juice gets a little toxic in the settling of the bottom if you're not careful and you suddenly get a gulp of the concentrate. So what I want us to do, um, what, what we're partaking of here is this incredible celebration of the broken body and shed blood of Christ that goes all the way back to the Israelites in Egypt when they came out and the Passover lamb was initiated through all those generations every year there was celebration of the Passover lamb that one day the ultimate sacrifice would come the Messiah would be the ultimate Passover lamb his body his Blood would be broken, his body broken, his blood shed, and we would no longer have to kill the lambs as a result because Jesus, the ultimate lamb, came to be that sacrificial lamb for us. So, what we're doing is we're participating in that meal, in that feast. Jesus said, When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So, first and foremost, I want to ask, Do you love Jesus? Like, if you believe Jesus came, he lived, he died, he is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He not only stayed in the grave, but he was, he was crucified, buried, and risen from the grave. He is who he says he is. He's the Savior of the world with a real loud amen. If you're in agreement with that, say it. Amen. amen. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. But then I want to ask beyond loving Jesus and accepting him as your Savior, really surrendering in the fear of the Lord. And so I would ask you to go ahead and just take out your, your, your bread. And I'm just going to read some scripture. We did this the last time we took communion, and and I just felt it was a significant interaction between us and God. If you've not taken communion by the time I'm finished reading all the verses, and I've got a lot of them to read, so don't feel rushed. Then we'll all receive those together. But as you're taking in what God is revealing in His Word. You're hearing something and it resonates and you say, Oh, Jesus, you died so I could live. Take in the reality of eternity as revealed in Scripture. That'd be a good moment just for you to take the cracker and the juice, however you would like to. But just do it in, in, as you're taking in his word. Let's take in his nature. Philippians 2, what we read earlier. So. let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is is the verse that I just keep reflecting on in this season of time, in my personal time of prayer. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and the way I know the power of his resurrection is by purposing to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And when I'm driving, this is a great verse for me to keep coming back to. They cut me off. They slowed me down. I'm just sharing in his sufferings. I'm identifying with the Lord in a moment of inconvenience. As small as that may be. It's a training ground. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. When somebody around me makes a comment. It sets me off. Instead of giving them a reaction. A fleshly carnal reaction. I want to become like him. I share in his sufferings in that moment and I answer their animosity with kindness. I share in his suffering and become like him in his death and I begin to know the power of his resurrection. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. But he died that we might have life. Lord we give you thanks. We just say as a family. We're thankful for the spirit of unity. That bond of peace that exists among us that you died for, Lord, that we might become family. All of us, all these different backgrounds, somehow unified together as the sons and daughters of God, the family of God. We thank you that didn't come cheap. came at the expense of your own life. Thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. In Jesus' name, if you've not already taken the elements, please go ahead and do so. of Christ that which we process determines that which we produce so we take in the nature of Christ we take in the nature of Christ continually perpetually take in the nature of Christ as we process the nature of Christ we begin to produce the reality of his love true love true love love is not true if it lacks the truth. Hence the term true love. We're just going to take a few moments and, and just enter into worship. Can you just bring what God's stirring in your heart just in an attitude of worship before we conclude? We'll, we'll, we'll be closed officially in just a few moments. It won't be long. Hang in there. But would you just bring everything God's awakening and stirring within your heart? Let's present it back to Him just in a few moments of worship.